With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. It's time for Witches Whiskey and Wit. My name is Jason. I'm a practicing witch. I have a thing of whiskey right here. You can hear the ice shaking in it. It's a warm day here in Northern California. It's not a time to drink scotch neat. It's a time to drink bourbon on the rocks. More specifically, it's a time to drink Tennessee whiskey on the rocks. And it's a kind of Tennessee whiskey that my wife hates. It's a bottle of Jack Daniels with honey in it that somebody gave us and she finds it quite horrid. I, on the other hand, am an equal opportunity drinker and feel as if I should you know, give it a go. Try it out. Try to finish the bottle because I'm a good and caring husband. That's just how it rolls. I hope you're doing all right as we record the show. It is the very end of July. We are on the cusp, nay, the precipice of Lamas, also known as Lunasa or Lunasad. Everyone's most overlooked, forgotten about Sabbath, except for that one guy who likes it more than anybody else has ever loved Sabbath in the history of the world. Whatever you do uh, for your Sabbath celebration, I hope it's great or was great, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Also, we are about 100 days from Election Day. Gods, I cannot wait until November. Just you know, just feels like it'll probably be better, right? It'll probably be better. Anyway, with the 100 days to go until Election Day, I hope that you are doing magic. I hope that you're doing work. I hope that you're focused on helping us to elect a president that is not insane. And that means we need to elect Joe Biden. If you're listening to this and you're a Trump person, I feel sorry for you. I'm not going to tell you to fuck off. You can still listen to the show. However, I think it's in everyone's best interest to, well, you know, to vote for Joe Biden. Let's not get magicked out as we get closer to this election. Do the work uh, and we can change our circumstances and we can make this a better place. Speaking of better places, I can think of no better guest than one of my absolutely favorite people in the entire world. And I know that if you listen to the show a lot, you get tired of hearing, oh, God, Jason, isn't this person your favorite? This person's your favorite. Well, yeah, I mean, most of the people I have on, I really like, and that's why I have on, because I think that you also, the listener, will enjoy listening to them. However, Courtney Weber is one of my favorite people, because she's just so positive, and she's so fun, and she makes me feel stupid. So I'd like to welcome Courtney to the show, Courtney is a best-selling author, creator of a tarot deck. Uh, she is a person of all trades. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Oh, no. There she is. I hear her. There's like a sound coming through, inching through the lines. Hello. Hello. 
No. I'm right back. There was a sound. There was a small sound there. She's going to call back. This is the thing about doing a live show. And we do a live show because I think it's more fun to do a live show because you never know really what is going to happen. And then you get glitches and problems like this. And I think that's fun. Uh, you know, it throws me off my game, makes me a little nervous, makes me a little scared. But, you know, it's much more realistic that way. You know, you can edit a show and make it perfect. But I'm not perfect. Why would I want to pretend otherwise on this show? So we're going to try again. I think Courtney's here. Wow. The world, the world hates us. I will drink some whiskey. Her, her phone keeps dropping. Uh, you know, it's probably the Trump administration not allowing us to talk. That's just my guess. That seems realistic. <laughs> you know, Courtney and I are in communication. She's restarting her phone. We're hoping this is going to work. You know, if not, uh, I'll ramble for an hour. It'll be great. I'll just have to change the name of the show when I upload it. And you listening live would be all kinds of disappointed, I think. But that's, you know, how the world is sometimes. It's best to learn now that there's going to be disappointments. This honey whiskey, by the way, not so bad. A little bourbon, a little touch of whiskey. You know, you get the whiskey flavor, some sweet honey. I think this is very appropriate for llamas. Honey always reminds me of warm times for whatever reason. Maybe because that's when you harvest honey, when it's warm outside. It always reminds me of summer. Uh, this drink here, this whiskey on ice, reminds me very much of summer. I think part of the problem with llamas, lunasa, lunasad, whatever you prefer to call it, is that we celebrate it quite often as the beginning of autumn. Because the Irish Celts opened up the autumn season in early August. Their climate was different from where most of us live. And I think especially witches, especially witches, are just in love with Samhain and the fall so much that we're often in a hurry to get there. So by default, we're not celebrating Lamas as the height of summer, which it really is. I mean, August, those are the dog days of summer. They are the doldrums of summer. They are the hottest days of the year. It is a very difficult month sometimes to get through. And, you know, we but we celebrate it as kind of like the start of fall. And it's just not really like that at all. It's, it's hot. It's nasty. Speaking of not nasty, speaking of great, uh, Courtney, hi. not working. Oh, God, I heard you for a second. You said it's not nope. working. Yeah. There was something, the little noise, the small noise coming through. And then it was once more gone. <laughs> And apparently, you can also hear me in the background. I don't know why. It's just one of those moments. 
I like it, and it's like my voice, the echo, the echo through there. It's um, something else, that's for sure. Tonight, we are not having much luck. Who knows what is going on? Gonna send Courtney a quick note. You're gonna hear the clackety of my. Hear the clackety of my little my keyboard there. It keeps my wife up late at night. So as we're here, and you know we're hanging out. Uh, let's see. We're gonna try again. Hi, Courtney. Jason, am I there? Oh my God! Yes. Oh my God! It's so weird. I, I had to restart my phone, and I called three times, and I'm running through the house, and it turns out my landline isn't even working. So. I think I'm, I, I need to, if I'm having problems getting out, like getting calls out of my house, it's not very safe. I know. Problematic like 45. Yeah. Well, yeah he's definitely problematic. And yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that too. You're, you're a little faint, but at least I can hear you. And that is At least is I'm a big, on there. Yes. It's, it's, it's a big step. Giant forward. improvement than before. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm I'm sorry for all of your technical difficulties. It's really good to talk to you. I have not spoken to you like with the words since maybe December, I think, when I was on your show. Yeah, I think so. We played the the Hallmark or horror movie game, which is still my favorite game. It's true. That's a creepy game. <laughs> I thought you would do better than you did because you're very clever. But no, I even pulled over on you a couple times. You did. The game was basically a description of a film, and you had to decide if it was a Hallmark Movie Channel film or a horror film. Uh, they're very close in plot. <laughs> I know. Depending on how, just depending on the wording. And <laughs> I love it that when I describe Bram Stoker's Dracula, everybody's like, that's definitely a Hallmark movie. <laughs> well, most people haven't actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula. They've seen bad adaptations over the years. And maybe most people not even that. All they really know is the caricature of Bela Lugosi. Yes. Yeah, actually, um, I had my husband sit down and watch the Bela Lugosi one. Um, I think it was the past Halloween, and he just looks at me at one point and he goes, this is putting me to sleep. This is really boring. And <laughs> I grew it up is. watching. It's... it's super boring, but it's also kind of fun because then you can, well, one, just the clothing makes me so happy because I love the era. But um, it's fun because then you see where shows like True Blood or other vampire lore have picked up stuff like the hypnosis, which I don't think they focused on that very much in, um, in the book. The book, I remember him focusing a lot on, on his physical prowess and how he could climb up walls and stuff like that um, and how like, he could seduce women in the night. But the whole hypnosis thing, I feel like, might have been more of a movie thing. But I grew up watching those. My dad made sure my sister and I saw the original Frankenstein Dracula and um, and oh, the werewolf and um, werewolf and Wolfman. I Wolfman was it Wolfman? No, yeah, not the one from like the the nineteen sixties, the werewolf one. Uh, oh, you're talking about the Michael Land in nineteen sixties, not the Lon Chaney Jr. one from the late forties, late thirties. Oh, a nightmares as a kid. Like I was afraid that. 
Dracula was going to be outside in our cul-de-sac, like standing there all in black and white. So I, I was very impressionable little girl. <laughs> so, I um, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying. So, yeah, so that was fun. But then they sat down about it, and I'm like, you know what? If you describe it the right way, Hallmark movies and horror movies are basically the same. I mean, I grew up watching, like, Son of Sven Gulli. You remember when you used to have the late-night horror hosts? In my case, it was afternoon horror hosts, and they always showed the classic films. And so, I mean, I grew mm. up watching all that stuff. If the original Dracula puts you to sleep, a good alternative is the original Dracula in Spanish, which is much better filmed. They use the exact same sets. The uh, Spanish-language actors would go in in the evening after Bella Lugosi and all those people had left for the day, and they would basically act out the same scenes. But the director did a much better job. While the original Dracula kind of looks like a stage play, the camera's very far away from most of the action. The Spanish version, they highlight characters more, and they're zooming in on Dracula and the other characters in the film. It's far superior. And most versions of Dracula on Blu-ray also have the Spanish edition there. I'm just throwing that out. Maybe I am desperate for it to be sound season already. And so this is on my mind. But, you know, give, have him give that a go. I'm in, and he, I mean, he's a film guy. So that he doesn't, like, get bored easily. He usually, I mean, he, you know, he, he's he's not into rom-coms, obviously, and I'm, I'm not really either. But um, he, the, but, yeah, so that might be an interesting one too for us to watch together. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm really ready for the solemn season. I think it's because we really haven't had summer. Obviously, we've got the summer weather up here in Oregon, but, you know, trips to the beach have been very careful going on days. There's not a lot of people. You can't really go to the bars and hang out. You can't really get together with a lot of friends. Um, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to my family reunion in South Carolina this year where I would have been spending every day on the beach. Um, and you just like all the festivals are canceled. So I just don't really feel like we've had summer. So I'm going to hopefully take some weekends this coming August and we can do some things that are more summer oriented because otherwise it's just going to, you know, so much has been, um, has been lost this year. And a lot of it has been gained too by being, in this, you know, the, the pandemic has given us a lot of gifts as well, but I do think that one thing that got sacrificed is good old-fashioned summer. I feel like we didn't have spring, to be honest. You know, it went from... Oregon never has spring. Oregon yeah. never has spring, so I don't even miss it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, for me, like, the, you know, everyone knows that I love football, and that's, like, so, like, looked down upon in the pagan world. But, you know, for me, like, the Super Bowl is kind of the end of the winter holiday season, you know, Christmas, Yule, New Year's. Oh, by the way, the Super Bowl. But then it's festival season. And for me, that means Pantheacon and Convocation in Detroit. And then I got home from Convocation in Detroit, and it was basically, hello, you're locked up. You know, welcome yeah. welcome to Shelter at Home. And, you know, then never felt like I got that big breath of spring. And I'm with you, certainly didn't have summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. And I was telling talking to my sister because I made I've made my niece and nephew's Halloween costumes ever like for the past three years. And so I, I told her I said we got to figure out what we're going to do. And she said they're not going to have Halloween this year. And I said wait a second, 
You're telling me your neighborhood or the kids at the school aren't going to have some kind of parade where they social distance and wave everybody from the cars or something like that. There will be something that will happen where I can dress up my nephew like a monster again. Well, I mean, I think that Halloween, you could go trick-or-treating. Everybody's wearing a mask, right? Yeah, I think there's also the questions about like the – the, t- the touching of the candy and stuff like that. I'm sure there's going to be some concerns about that. I mean, if kids want candy for me on Halloween, we are the fa- we are the house that passes out the full size candy bars and the glow sticks because we are the witches. And I dress up as a witch and I pass out the candy. So we're gonna we're gonna have stuff for the kids if they come. But I don't know if people are gonna bring their kids out. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I want it to happen yeah. so bad. It's a Saturday. It's a full moon. And if the night daylight savings time begins, I mean, this should be the greatest Halloween slash Samhain of our lives. And it could be the last because a bunch of of patriots couldn't wear masks in April and May. Yeah, well, see, I live in the libertarian section of Oregon, so there's a lot of that out here. Yeah, I'm about an hour outside of Portland, and so all it's it's very purple out here, getting bluer purple, a deeper blue purple than the red purple, but. Um, there's a lot of like, don't tell me I have, I can't use a plastic bag if I want at the grocery store and don't tell, you know, tell me to wear a mask. I was like, okay. Okay, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little <laughs> insulated in the Bay area. I feel like most people have been playing along, but I mean, there's still 10% or so of the population that just doesn't seem to care. You know, and yeah, I don't know if I supposed to yell, wear a mask at them. I, I don't know. Um, maybe you could try it. It probably won't help though. <laughs> no, it probably won't. That's true. No, it's, that's, a, that's, it's just going to make them. Honestly, I feel like the people that aren't wearing masks are waiting for someone to yell at them to wear a mask so that they can fight about it. You know, I do. so yeah. you can, yeah. So you're drinking your whiskey. I'm checking on my tofu and Brussels sprouts. I wish I had whiskey, but I actually have a call at seven o'clock our time with a potential, like a, it's like a pitch session. Cause remember that like last time I was on your podcast, I told you about a novel I was writing. Right. I put it away for a while. Yeah. I put it away for a while cause it wasn't working. And then I brought it back out after I finished my last, uh, my last pagan book and I'm trying it again. And it's gone a lot better this time. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's published, but I know I can at least, I feel good enough about it to, uh, to take it to people. So I'm doing like this, practice pitch session when we get off the phone and then I'm pitching to a number of agents tomorrow. I'm doing an online writing conference um, that it would be, and this has like, Oh, it'd be so nice to go to a hotel and be at a conference and have overpriced drinks and stuff like that. But not this year, um, but I was still trying. So I'm, I gotta be a good girl tonight, but uh, come tomorrow night, there will be a lot of wine in my future. So here's a question. I mean, we both write books and I have never really attempted fiction to me, it feels like a completely different skill set. Do the things that you've done as a nonfiction writer play into writing fiction? You know, my my nonfiction writing is also very experiential, and I also I also let um, I don't want to say poetry flow, but I, I I'm not a clinical nonfiction writer. There's a lot of um, softness and flow to what I write because my whole goal is to bring people to to make complicated material accessible and usable for somebody that's reading it today. Um, it's it's just not 
I'm not, I'm not an academic writer and that's something I've, people have, have kind of come down on me for, but I'm like, I never tried to be an academic writer. So I'm not sure why I'm, you know, getting flack for that. Um, but this, what I, with um, my fiction, sometimes it could be kind of, I had to, to trust the reader more than, because with nonfiction writing, you do have to, there's a certain level of detail you need to attend to. But then with fiction, you need to give space for the reader to create their own detail. And knowing where that line is, I think can be one of the more challenging things. Um, but with both, with both books, I've always felt like the most important thing for me to do as a writer is just to be as absolutely honest as possible with either my experiences or my, um, my own kind of reactions to the, the, the situation. Um, Cause I think that's actually something you and I talked about last time is that this book is kind of a, um, a parallel autobiography as if I had, I, I, you know, I experienced quite a bit of loss when I was, uh, when I was very young and I know it's, it's, it's made me um, live my life in a particular way. And I could see how it could have gone a different way if just different opportunities had presented itself um, that I might've tried, like that loss that I pretend like encouraged me to, um, basically the, because I lost people so young, I was really panicked about not getting, not living a full life. And so I went out and made every mistake I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of, I was a giant train wreck for a very, very long time. And I think that that was where a lot of that came from was a fear of missing out uh, on a moment. And then, but other friends of mine that experienced the same losses that I did um, got married really young. They like clung to security right away. And of course those marriages didn't work out because they were too young when they went into them. And so I was kind of, I took that, like what if I had been 17 and had a boyfriend that was my source of emotional comfort instead of um, my passions, which at the time was theater. That's where I, I leaned for comfort was in, you know, what I wanted to do instead of the people. But what if I'd had a boyfriend that, was available to me and emotionally I probably would have clung to him and maybe married him. And then, you know, by the time you're 28, you're like, well, shit, I got married at 20 and I'm, <laughs> this is not, I'm, 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 I'm my Saturn return is coming in and this is about to blow up. And so I went that route with her, but instead of, but it is a fantasy story. So it's like she, um, um, she, it's a lot of um, Russian folklore is, is playing into it. Cause that's also the folklore that my sister and I were first exposed to as kids. And um, so revisiting some of those pieces has been um, has been really fascinating. And, you know, what those the Russian folktales, there are so many like parables about dealing with painful situations in life and largely about loss. And what do you do with it once it happens to you? And so it's it's exploring those things has made it um, very interesting. And so. Um, I don't know where she's, I know how she's, I know where she's going to be at the end of this novel. I just don't yet know how she's going to get there, but I've heard that's a good place to start. Like as long as you know where she's going to end up, you'll figure out how to get her there. You we know? have a story but, um, there, right? At least. You know, I have you, a story. The character starts this way and it ends this way. So there's a, there's a story. Yeah. And it's, it's really lovely because I'm taking a lot of, um, I mean, I'm taking the folklore, but I'm, it's set in the Pacific Northwest. So a lot of the pieces that are more, um, like the landscape and the animals that are natural to Eastern Europe, I'm replacing them with the animals and landscape that are out here. So instead of an oak tree, it's a Douglas fir. Instead of a fox, it's a coyote or a cougar, right? And things that, um, uh, you know, or that she's walking through the forest and all of a sudden she's 
it's all burned down because that's a reality when you're in, in Oregon is that you can be going through the forest and all of a sudden you go through an area that it's all gone because it burned, you know? Um, and so what is that, what is that like? And um, it's, it's, it's set in 2007, which is kind of a fun era to go back to because we were, we all thought things were so bad. It was the end of the Bush presidency <laughs> and it, there was a lot of problems. There were a lot of problems. I am not minimizing the problems with that era. But <laughs> when I'm watching the characters just get real upset because they're just so tired of the Iraq war and they're just, they just, you know, all oh, Bush is such a moron. I'm like, yeah, all those things are true. But you don't know what's coming, honey bun. <laughs> I, I never thought that I would miss W, right? I mean, that's just insane to, mo- to, uh, to those yeah. of us who grew up in the early 2000s. And now I sort of miss W. I, 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 I had my moments when I missed him, but then I also sit back and go, okay, wait a minute. He did drag us into two wars that we're never going to be able to get out of. And he abandoned New Orleans and a lot of people, a lot of black people died in New Orleans. And he just kind of stood there and twiddled his thumbs. Um, I think what I just miss is having a human being in the office because Bush was, uh, W was a terrible president who let some really terrible things happen and led us into some terrible situations. But I do think he was a human being. Um, I think he was a bit of a Zionist and thought he could save the world. And that's a huge problem when you've got someone who thinks they're a superhero or that they're only me can do this or only I can do this. That hurts people when that happens. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that he thought he, he was trying to do good and thought he was doing the right thing. Um, but he was, you know, grew up in a very wealthy world and was not cognizant of, of the suffering of, of, of people and was not, I think he very quickly slipped into denial about situations like we all saw him kind of sit there for a second when they told him about 9-11 he just it, he could not process it I think he something like that must have happened with New Orleans as well or else he was just an outright closet racist and just was not interested in, in supporting people in New Orleans I go down a rabbit holes you know this <laughs> I was about to That's apologize fine. I'm like they should do what he was getting into what he asked no. me to but he was a human being and we don't have someone with the kind of like the kind of compassion for others that that you know, that we're, we're used to seeing, but I don't think, but, you know, 45 is not the only one that's, that's, that lacks complete compassion for others. We also have McConnell in there and <laughs> a lot of others that are just, just absolutely all about power and have no regard for human life. I, I used to think, Oh, they're just misguided. I also think there are now I finally believe now there are people out there who truly have no regard for the, for other people. They only have regard for themselves. And unfortunately we've got a lot of them running our, our world right now. So we've got a lot of work to do. So, yeah, sometimes I just kind of want to take take me from 2007, pat her on the hand and say, enjoy your anger at W. You know, is it going to be fun? Because it's going to get a lot worse. I mean, Bush so. Jr. felt like he was at least capable of empathy at times. Yeah. And the, to me, that's like the thing that makes Donald Trump so non-human. He doesn't seem to have any empathy for anyone yeah. or anything. They like Dr. Fauci. Yeah. Why don't they like me? I mean, that's I mean, that's insane. That's that's like a kindergartner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, or that's it's like making everything about you, you know, <laughs> like it's just yeah. Oh, it's it's um, but we're the thing that that I mean, I've uh, every time we I've seen Trump pull something, everyone's like, can you believe they did this? I'm like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't. But the thing that has scared me the most of anything he's done is when he said we ought to delay the election. It's like, okay, that 
that is that is probably the scariest thing he has said since he's been in office because that means he is absolutely has no problems with just staying in that office and being being a dictator. You know, everything else it's like, oh, we can just count down till he gets out. No, he he has no intention of leaving. That's what's really terrifying. That was a gut punch. Yeah. I mean, we're, as we record yeah. this show, that happened this morning. And, you know, yes. reading the news and it's like Trump, you know, election won't be real and, uh, you know, and I'm going to delay the election and shit. And it's like, uh, 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 you know, it, like yeah. all the air in the in my lungs suddenly was gone. Yeah. And it's it's and I can you know, what you know, what could, he, what could happen is that they could they could declare. But here's the trajectory of him not leaving is um, people say, oh, well, they'll, they'll get him out if, he's, if, if Biden wins. Well, he'll do is he'll claim that the election was invalid. You know, he will be, he'll have the Senate on his side to say, well, we really need to, well, hopefully, um, well, but even, if, even if we do take back the Senate, they're still going to be um, in power in November. And they'll say, well, we need to hold on on the transition to power until we figure this out. And then they will let a terrorist attack happen. Well, we can't do it now because we need to declare martial law until the situation's taken care of, and that's it. And then that, then we won't be able to get him out. So yeah, that's what's con- really, really scary. The Constitution is very clear that you know there's a day where the transition of power happens, and if there's not an appointed president, it would be Nancy Pelosi. If there's not an elected president, and the electoral college hasn't met, it would be it would be Pelosi, which you know no. would give me a, a degree of satisfaction in a way, but. It's still very scary, and I think you're right. We, I mean, we're in uncharted waters. Nobody knows exactly yeah. what's going to happen and how it'll play out. To get away from the guy who ruins everything, though, you know, just for a second, and to kind of go back to paganism and, and witches and goddesses and, and stuff, you mentioned that, you know, you've written two books about goddesses that have been published, a book on bridges three. and a book three, but the other, the third one hasn't come out yet. Has not come out yet. No, no sometime yeah. in 2021. Yeah. It's two published, three altogether. The, we're waiting on the Hecate book or Hecate book. Yes. Depending on how you say it. How do you say it? Um, I don't know. I think I say Hecate. But if other people are saying Hecate, I usually say that too. I've read that both are correct. Um, so I don't, really, I don't really think about it a lot. <laughs> I mean, I get everyone's wants to be like, well, that's not how you say it. It's Hecate, not Hecate. And I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that she's smart enough that she knows she's being talked about. Also, if she had a huge problem with the pronunciation, I figure she would do something about it. Uh, There there, there would, would, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I digress. I was going to ask, though, you mentioned something. I mean, three books about goddesses, histories of goddesses how to work with goddesses. And you said that people have criticized you for not writing scholarly books. And I don't understand that. I mean, it's the information that matters and you're not writing for college audience. You know, there's a reason some of us write about history and things uh, for pagans because pagans aren't going to pick up a college book or a PhD or a dissertation. Well, see, that's where I, I, there is a growing faction of pagans that want the most academic books as possible. And there is even, I feel like there's some kind of, there's also a growing movement about people who are like really cautious about 
labeling anything with experience or any kind of interpretation on mythology or, or goddess work. Um, now, granted, there's, there's some, there's, you know, there is room for, to, you know, to be careful of that, especially when you're working with Irish mythology and Irish culture, you, you want to be careful you're not, um, that you're, you're being clear about how, like, if you're interpreting something that is your personal interpretation and not twisting it with, you know, a lens from that, that's, that's, that is uh, forgetting its history and its origins. Um, so there is room, I think, but there is room, I think, to say, you know, this is one way to look at this, or this is how I have received this. Because the myths are, we had a really great, on, on my show, we have uh, Jenna Talendru, um came on uh, this morning and she um, was saying the myths exist because they're meant to teach us something. And if a myth is still, if people are still telling a story or still reading a story or writing about it, then it still has relevance. So I think there, there, there has to be room for people to, to see themselves within the myth and to say, I am receiving this particular story from the myth without like saying, without insisting that your way is the way and the only way that this myth can be interpreted, um, or or like disre- or you know editing out pieces of myth because they're uncomfortable or they don't fit the worldview that you want them to. So it, it is a fine line, and it, but I do think that there is because there was such a history, especially of um, a lot of American writers taking myths from different countries and making them all experiential and not really giving um, proper credit to uh, original source or to context um, or editing out things that they found were uncomfortable or didn't, didn't fit the worldview that they wanted to present, then that would be, um, and so I feel like there's a bit of a, you know, a pendulum swing where then there's a, there's a growing movement where if it's not academic, it's not worth reading. And if there's any sort of reflection or interpretation on it, then it should it should be it should be disregarded that people shouldn't write down interpretations. It's kind of extreme. I feel like there's still a lot of people that are in the middle that want the um, the the books that that present the the best information that they can, but do give people a little bit of wriggle room to find their own way through the material. Um, and so, but I, that's one thing I've, you know, sentiment the scene in reviews or people say stuff like, they're like, well, you know, I only, I, I didn't read Courtney's book because I don't, I, it's not academic. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Or they're, they'll say something like, it's just not academic enough for me. And I'm like, well, that's great. Okay. It doesn't have to be, but there's sometimes there's a sense in which it's like, I'm only going to read things that are academic. Um, and so I, I won't even give yours a shot. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But that's also where, you know, um, um, I, I feel sometimes it can be a little, a little frustrating because it's like a, a book on spirituality does not have to be academic. Um, I do think it should be true to the source if you're going to be repeating information or mythology from um, another culture, especially a living culture. But it, I don't think that books have to be academic to be relevant. You know, that's where my, you know, sometimes I try, I get a little, a little frustrated, but um the irony is, is that when I like to read, I also like to read the academic stuff, but I don't write it. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I love reading academic stuff, but I had a friend tell me yeah. once, he goes, what's really great about what you do is you're the intermediary. You're, you're sharing that material. However, you're sharing it for people who aren't ever going to read that material. 
And there has to mm-hmm. be sort of that person in the middle sharing the information. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, I think there's room for all of it. Um, I've also at the same time have, have had some people get annoyed because I've um, written about some of the, you know, the more uncomfortable aspects of the goddesses and there are, you know, or I've included spells in there that are about like, taking revenge or, you know, protecting yourself or those kinds of things. They're like, I don't think the goddess would like that. I'm like, did you read the myths? Because if you read the myths, she takes revenge. If you read the myths, she comes down pretty hard on people. You don't have to do the spells, but I think it's a mistake to say I shouldn't have put them in there or to say that you think the goddess would not like them. If the goddess didn't like it, she'll let me know. That's not for you to decide. (laughs) (laughs) And if she didn't want you to see those, maybe you'd get the copy with that page ripped out. You know, things happen. Fire would just explode. Things happen in the warehouse. You know, that's another thing. That's another thing too, though. That a lot of people who really press about the academic, I sometimes feel like the gods are removed from the modern day in that sense. That, well, if it didn't happen 2,000 years ago, then that's not the goddess that, you know, I know. It can only be ancient. And I have to feel as if deity progresses, ages with us. And if we have an experience with it, that doesn't mean that's a universal by any means. But I think that we should be feel, we should feel free to write about it and to share it. And we shouldn't get criticized for that. Well, exactly. And that's something I say at the beginning of the Morgan is that, you know, this kind of, of of thing that, you know, you have to, you can only accept the gods as they're formed 2,000 years ago. It's a little bit like if you were going to Ireland and you show up and you think your B&B owner is going to be there with an iron sword and invite you on a cattle race. That's not, you know, you're ignoring that there's 2,000 years in which, you know, like I said, the, the old spirit of Iron Age Ireland or, you know, or some call it Celtic Ireland is absolutely there. Like that, that, that antiquity and that um, legacy is absolutely alive in Ireland. But people don't go on cattle raids as, as a way of sustenance. Okay, I mean, most people are not living off cutting up peat and burning it there. You know, Ireland is one of the most progressive places in the world right now, both socially and um, a huge center of of technology. Like there, these and and. You know the the progress like the, they are now the light of of hope in the world of democracy when a lot of democracies are looking a little dim right now, you know. So there's it would be a disservice to say that that the country is is how it was or it should be as it was a long time ago instead of honoring what it is now and the beauty of what it is now. The same thing with the gods. The gods are attached to us. They don't exist differently from us. So the gods evolve as well, right? Um, so there's. You know, one of my interpretations, making this very clear, because it's important, people say unique personal gnosis. My feeling, people people often, you know, depict the Morgan on um, on a battlefield, and she's, you know, she's dressed in, in Iron Age attire, whatever that might have been, and, you know, she's very wild. And I'm like, well, you know, I think if she were, if she were a flesh and blood person in 2020, I think she would be what people might call a keyboard warrior, because she was a strategist. And she worked with her words, right? And so she might be someone who is uh, using information to bring down the, you know, bring down the big banks or to oust the, um, oust the, uh, 
the politician who's um, abusing children and getting them out of, you know, getting them out of office. I could see, I personally could see her in that way. Right. And so um, I see her spirit in those kind of realms. Now that's not how everybody sees her. That's okay. You know, and it, I remember reading a paper once where um, people talking about different views of Jesus and they were working with a group of a women who had been battered and um, they were each talking about their relationship with Jesus. And each Jesus that they talked about was a different Jesus, but that Jesus was connected to them and helping them navigate their circumstances. And so there's room, there's room for the God, for us to interpret the gods in our lives individually um, while still being mindful of, of who they, they once were and not saying, Oh, so the Morgan was, was never fierce and she never hurt anybody. Well, that's not true. She absolutely did. What kind of world is that? What kind of world? I, 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 oh God, Jason, you would have loved this. So I was teaching, um, at a store in uh, the Midwest. I won't say where, but I was talking about how, um, from what we don't know a lot about, the culture of Iron Age Ireland, but from if we're looking at, you know, the early medieval era, if that gives us any clue, wasn't necessarily a matriarchal society, a lot of problems with patriarchy there. The women had, had you know, a number of, of roles that were powerful, but they didn't have the kind of the myths of Avalon, uh, you know, idea of power that we, we all, many people when they're new to this path often envision. And there's this woman just looked absolutely horrified. And, and she said, so does that mean that goddess worship doesn't solve patriarchy? And I said, no, it absolutely does not. And I said, these are goddess oriented cultures that were absolutely patriarchal oriented. And then I said, don't get me started on how goddess worship is inherently sexist. She and her friend left. They couldn't, they were so upset. Like, I don't know if it's the way I presented it. I asked, I asked the store owner, I'm like, was I rude or harsh and she's like, no. And she would have told me because we're, we're very good friends. Um, but it was a sense of like, I can't handle the idea that this is not the answer in itself. I'm like, no, it is not the answer in itself. You know, there's, there it is, it is helpful. It, it, it's always frustrating you when know. people leave your workshop, you know, it's like you, yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. I, was I mean, like, I know everything I, that I need to know about the ancient Celts. Yeah, I know everything <laughs> I need like, to know about okay. the ancient Celts because I read DJ Conway's Celtic Magic as a young age. Oh, Jason. Yeah. Now um, you're just trying it, to cause it, trouble. <laughs> it, is so, it is so strange. It is true. It's true. You know, that was my first book, so I like have this weird sort of love-hate relationship with it. You know, I love it yeah. because it got me through the door. I hate it because now yeah. I realize how terrible it is. And yeah. I think that's how a lot of us feel about the early books that we read. Do you have feelings about books in that sort of way? Um, I, I have books that I love that I don't necessarily recommend just because I think that the information is outdated, but I don't have like animosity toward them. Like I love the grimoire of Lady Sheba when I, when I first read it, because I thought it was just so, you know, it just, I loved it so much. It felt so powerful. And then a couple years later, I'm like, um, you know, this doesn't really uh, provide a lot of sustenance for the new witch and it doesn't really explain things very well. So I'm, I'm not going to recommend it. Um, I might still have my copy around here somewhere. And if so, I'll give it a big hug, but I don't, and um, 
you know, and it, it's, it's, um, but I think that with some, with a lot of writers, I think we have to give them some credit that, you know, sometimes they're, the, the book they write isn't the way, like at the end of their career where they're not, like, where it's, it's not like, you know, that they still think that way or that they, you know, didn't have time to reflect and say, okay, uh, you know, that actually that information wasn't entirely correct. Because, like, I just wrote Bridget a few years ago, but already I'm looking at it going, well, I've learned more since then. I actually don't think that's correct anymore, but you can't go back and you can't redo it, you know? <laughs> no, not until you get, like, the 10th or 20th anniversary edition. No, it's true. Sorry if you hear a dog barking. My dog gets very upset when I go in this room and close the door. He does not like oh. me out of his sight. Yeah. No, I just assumed it was my – I have new neighbors, and they have a dog that apparently barks at everything. Aww. Yeah. You well, know, they've only yeah, been there well, three days. Hopefully it will clear out, you know. The dog will be more well, comfortable. Our dog doesn't bark a lot. He just barks when he's feeling indignant. So <laughs> – that was like, how dare you? You went into the room and closed the door. I'm like, yeah, I did. Talking to Jason, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. So. <laughs> what are you going to do, not let me eat dinner, dog? I mean, I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm sexy see this black snout under the door. He's pretty upset right now. <laughs> he is actually an official Llewellyn reviewer. Your dog. Yeah. Yeah, he eats books, like he eats my uh, my pagan books, and then I post oh. his review on Instagram. And um, <laughs> when he did his review of Dog Magic, Alicia said that it was the best review she had seen of that book. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes, that, that's painful. That, I don't remember who wrote that book, but ouch. Well, it was pretty awesome because he had just like to see this this cop this book called Dog Magic that had been torn apart by a dog and it said and I just wrote they said and Ichabod said tore through it immediately couldn't put it down. Like, <laughs> so that brings up another thing you mentioned Llewellyn, but you write for Wiser, and it's sort of yeah. weird because I think of you kind of like in my immediate peer group, and you're like the only one of us who isn't a Llewellyn author. You're the you're the one on the ox side. You're on the ox side. What's it like writing for Wiser? How did you end up there? What keeps you there? I mean, you, this will be the Hecate book or Hecate book will be what four books with Wiser? Four books with Wiser. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really have a comparison. It's the only um, major publishing company I've written for. You know, when I wrote Bridget, I um, I offered it to both Llewellyn and Wiser, and uh, Llewellyn passed on it, and Wiser published it. Um, that was as simple as that. It was actually funny. It was on the, on the, the same day I got a, you know, a, uh, um, no, thank you, but please contact us again, email from wise from Llewellyn. And I was really upset. And then like a couple of hours later, I got an email from wise. I was like, God, we love it. You know, send us more. And so I went, Oh, okay. Um, great. And so then, you know, you get writer first refusal and wiser has been really, really good to me. I'm, I'm still wildly fond of, of, of you know, the, the team at Llewellyn and, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I have nothing but good things to say about, you know, the company and everybody over there. Um, I did write something for an almanac a number of years ago, and that was a good experience. But, um, yeah, I mean, Wiser has taken good care of me. So I'm, you know, I, I can't complain, right? And I mean, I know. Like I said, no, I yeah. I know some of the Wiser folks because they send me excerpts to post on Patheos. And I find them to be like really involved in trying to promote their books in ways that Llewellyn is not. So I really like them. And I like Judica too. She's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, there's oh, a yeah. lot of great people at both companies. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I, you know, they just, I feel really cared for at Wiser. And like I said, I don't have any other, you know, point of, of reference, but I just know that, that they, they're mindful of, of what's going on with me. And, and, you know, Judica will, will talk through um, my questions, my ideas, my concerns. And she just takes the time to just, you know, you know, um, unpack things for me when I start to, to have questions like, Oh, should I go this way or that way? And, you know, and they also listen, um, um, I'm, I'm able to push back if they wanted to do something with my book, but I'm like, you know what, I, I don't feel that's going to be true to it. And they, you know, we usually can find some kind of compromise in a way that's not too painful and um, leaves us both happy. So I, I, you know, I can't say anything, you know, anything to the, to the, um, you know, but it's, so, but again, like I said, it's, it's, it was funny because you were, you were like, oh, I'll sneak you into the Llewellyn party at Pantheacon. I said, oh, Jason, I crash that party every year. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part was like, I was at the Wiser party at the suite next door. And then my friend and I were like, okay, let's go crash the Llewellyn party. All right, let's. And so we left and went into the Llewellyn party. We were there like for two minutes and all of a sudden all the Wiser editors came in and crashed too. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I feel the same way about the Wiser party. I mean, I'm just going to walk in there. I mean, I know everybody's there. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't feel like the companies are competing anyways. I think that there are people who wish that was the case. I've never felt that way. Well, it's it's also – here's the thing about books. It's not like a phone or a car where you're probably just going to have one. If you're interested in a topic, you're going to read more than one book. And that's the kind of thing where people got, have been a little weird with me about other um, authors writing about, you know, um, about like the, the Celtic goddesses and things like that. They're like, well, you know, this person wrote that in there, but I like this about your book. And it's like, well, I, that other author is a very good friend of mine. And, you know, I, I think that you should, they're, they're like, you should read their book as well because they're going to pick up things that I didn't. And if you're interested in the topic, you're not just going to read. It's not a Bible. Like I only will read this book on the Morgan. Like, no, you should read every book on the Morgan, you know, that, that calls to you. And, you know, and there might be some um, that like you find more helpful to you than others. And if somebody finds, you know, another author's book um, on the Morgan, they find it more helpful than mine, then they should be, you know, then it's good that they read that. Right. So I just I get kind of concerned when I see people adhere to only one book on one kind of subject. That's where I get a little nervous. I go, I only read this book. I'm like, well, now you're treating it like a Bible. And didn't we leave Christianity for a reason? Or most of us did anyway. I don't know. We're very kind of Bible like sometimes, you know, people, yes. that first book that they loved, like you dare you dare not criticize it ever again. Like Scott Cunningham's Wicca or to ride a silver broomstick, or when I said, you know what, I'd love drawing down the moon, but it's not a good beginner book in the year 2020, and people are like, what? No, that's the first book I read. Well, yeah, half those traditions don't even exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's, good in context. I mean, even people like this, especially a book like A Witch's Bible, Janet Ferrer has come out and said, like do not she's like says don't treat this like a bible okay and that's why it says a witch's bible not the witch's bible and one of the things that i've I've talked i said the, the and it's also in context of you know look at when the book was written and what and for whom it was written for and so um you know in a witch's bible it says something like you know a, a group that's only men is not going to function in a witchcraft sense 
We all know that is not true. There are so many wonderful male or people who identify as male only traditions, but you know, at that time, it, it was a different, it was a different era. And there was a, you know, there was, it was the new era of feminism. So there was a different, there was a different lens on it. And I still feel like now a witch's Bible is good for the history of the Sabbath because Stuart Farrer was a journalist. And so reading it with that, with that journalist perspective and the research he did into the history of the Sabbath, that's what that, that book is for. I know I was, I was, um, I've told Janet the story a number of times and she always laughs, but um, I was performing a wedding when I was in Brooklyn and the, uh, the couple was insistent on doing everything in the wedding like they did in a witch's Bible, which involved a lot of specific lines and everybody standing in a circle and the bride and groom being naked and there being a lot of kissing of the feet. And they were really nervous, like how they were going to get their Christian family involved in all this in being naked in a bar in Brooklyn. And I said, listen, don't do that. You like you do not stop bending yourself in a, in a knot. This is not. I mean, even Janet would say you really should wear your wedding clothes in a public environment, and you should. And if your family is uncomfortable saying these lines, then they don't need to say them. And if the the venue is not set up for an easy circle, then just walk down an aisle, and we'll make the ceremony just like kind of more traditional way. It is really okay. But at the time, they were trying to offer an alternative which, you know, wasn't really available because there weren't that many books when this one, when the witch's Bible was published. Um, so I try to tell people, you know, if you get, if, if the rituals inspire you, great, but don't try to wedge your life into this, you know, these, these practices because it was for a different time and people that had different needs than you do. But I feel like that, that book now I say, read this book because of the, the history of the Sabbath. That is what I feel is, is the best thing that that book can offer. And like, you know, Janet and, and, her, and her husband, Gavin, are just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, they're not, you know, would not be bent out of shape about that. So, um, again, it always comes back to context is so important. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that Janet would admit that there are parts of that kind of witchcraft that have not aged well. And exactly. I, I think she's been kind of public about that. And as somebody who's written his own Sabbath book, I would say the history of the Sabbaths in that book is not very good. <laughs> but that's oh, well, that's Jason's okay. that's Jason's opinion because you know just Jason's and and I adore the witch's Bible. I mean that's one of my favorite texts, but it's really just kind of a starting point. And that's what all this stuff is. It's a starting point, and you utilize what you like in it and what works for you, and you discard the rest. And it's not ever mm-hmm. meant to be holy writ. And so many people don't get that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So we have six minutes. Ugh. Six minutes, you know, and this is great because I love that you're a talker. So, I mean, I just sit back and I sip on the whiskey and I don't have to do shit for an hour. So, Courtney, you're <laughs> always welcome if you're bored and want to talk because, you know, I, I have. There's I have, always a. There's a I mean, I've really, I mean, I really liked you as long down. as I've known you. I mean, I, I hope oh, that good. you know that. I think that you know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about tarot because if people were to ask me, like, what is the one Courtney Weber book I should read, I would probably say Tarot for one, which to me was a really great book. I mean, I, I thought it was really practical, and it was a different take on tarot because it's always about reading for other people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that so, your magnum opus yeah. or is something coming up your magnum opus? Uh, tell me a little bit about that book and why you wrote that particular book. Well, I wrote it because that was a story – that was a book that um, that people – people asked me about, like I had a, I offered a class on, um, I used to offer a class on uh, reading tarot for yourself. And that was the one that was always popular. And so um, there hadn't been a book out for a while that was about reading tarot for yourself. Mary Greer wrote one called tarot for yourself a number of years before. So mine was not the first, but I love the, I so known. All the practice. I <laughs> yeah. So it, it was certainly, I guess I make it very clear. It certainly was not the first, but it had been a while since one had come out. I, wrote I wrote it because that was the come the class the for people who couldn't attend the class essentially and a lot of the reading that I had done for a while was reading for myself and also to break through the uh, the stereotype or the idea that you have to have someone else read for you or that you have to have someone gift you a tarot deck and there are times I think it's probably not wise to read for yourself especially if you're really vested in something or you're really fixated on something it's probably not good to read for yourself um, but it doesn't mean that you should never do it. I think it's good to read for yourself regularly, um, but it's also good to periodically get, you know, get outside perspective. So I like to think that my magnum opus is coming. I don't want to ever think that it's behind me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. My last two books have just been okay, you know, so I'm kind of, I feel like, you know, you know, probably have already peaked. I probably peaked with transformative witchcraft. When I think of you, I think of you as a New Yorker first and foremost. And when I met you face to face for the first time, that was at Harvest Fest, which is in Connecticut, usually yes. in August. Mm -hmm. And I met you at the 110 degree Harvest Fest. And so I, I have never seen someone so beloved in their immediate community as you were Aww. everyone Courtney 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 you know it, I was like wow and I understand why I think you're great I think you have empathy I mean I adore you but I always associate you with New York has it been difficult moving back is it's back to Oregon right back to Oregon it is back to Oregon City? yeah yeah no it really wasn't um I mean, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but the truth is, is that I really got burned out. I got burned out really, really hard um, with, with leadership and with, um, with a lot of, you know, just in the, 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 in the living in New York city and, and my family was out here and a lot of the things that my husband and I wanted for ourselves, we just really weren't going to be able to, to get in New York. Um, so, and I've been coming back to Oregon almost every, you know, almost a couple times a year since I moved out to New York. So it wasn't coming, coming back. Wasn't that, that difficult. Um, it's been a challenge for me is working through burnout and coming back into magic and coming back into um, leader, like leadership. Cause it's something I've not really been really gotten away from. Um, Cause as soon as I was back in, um, in Portland, um, the Kanani, my co-host was like, okay, so you're going to do the workshops and organize them for pagan Friday. And you're going to do this ritual and you're going to this. And I'm just like, like, I literally need a break. And she's like, yeah, well, you can take a break from everything else, but you're not going to take a break from this. And I'm like, okay. So that it's, um, it's been a long, um, that's been, it's, it, there's been right now, I just, I still feel like I'm in a three, like it's three years and I'm still trying to reconnect to where my, 
my magic is. You know, I, there's times I'm pulled, like, let's get even deeper into the, the Irish and Celtic reconstruction work or, you know, let's, um, but, or, you know, then I sometimes I'm getting pulled also to my own Appalachian roots because my mom's family is from um, the Carolina, Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and have been there for like 300 years. Yeah. So there's a lot there as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, that's one of my big questions is kind of like, I don't really know where I'm anchored, but the, the, the geography and, um, you know, the lifestyle has not been difficult at all. It's been really lovely being out in the country and, um, and having a house instead of, you know, a little apartment and, um, not having, uh, just, just the lifestyle out here is just a lot easier than in New York city. Um, I do miss the community for sure. I certainly miss the harvest gathering community and, um, a lot of the New York community as well. It's just a really wonderful, um, loving, uh, community of pagans in New York. And so I, I certainly miss the people, but, um, you know, it, it was just, it was just time. Right. And, and my soul needed, my soul needed some repair. Um. <laughs> I can't imagine dealing with COVID-19 and living in a place like New York city where, yeah. you know, if you have a couple, like 300 square feet as an apartment, you know, that's a lot of apartment for some people. I mean, people live in these tiny little spaces and to be stuck in that tiny little space for three or four months, really difficult, really hard. I, I don't think it's been, I mean, everybody's circumstance is different, but uh, the people that I have that are still there, um, it wasn't so much about not leaving the apartment, but it was like the cons- the constant ambulances going by, constantly mm-hmm. an ambulance. And um, every time you turn around, somebody you know has got it. I know one of my, co- my coworkers, she was in the process of buying an apartment, and then her lawyer wasn't responding to her. And then she got a message from another lawyer that said, sorry, she has COVID, she's on a ventilator, so I'll help you. And then all of a sudden it's like, which will let you know your first lawyer passed away. She was like 32 and Jesus. didn't make come out. So she's like, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden the new lawyer has COVID and is, is gone. So she's got a new, like a third lawyer right. coming in to help her. Like that's just, or, you know, it's a constant. Um, the first, the, the, I have, I'm knocking on wood. I have not yet lost anybody directly to COVID, but I have a lot of people who have lost people to COVID. And a lot of those people are in New York. So I don't, I don't, um, feel like it's as much about I feel like maybe for many of them staying at home was a place of safety it wasn't about like I got to get out it's like you know I don't want to get out it is really scary out there and I'm going to stay here you know yeah. but oh. everybody's different such a such a down note to go off on you know I mean usually usually we try to end the show with hope and whiskey and yeah. Jason a little you know tipsy and inebriated but that didn't quite happen <laughs> But I mean, uh, when your when your book comes when your Hecate book comes out in early 2021, hopefully we can chat again, or if not, maybe before, just because I like talking to you and I miss you and did not get to go up to Washington to be on the gates this year because of COVID, which I hope that we'll see you there or something. I mean, people want to know more about you online. Where can they do so? Well, you can go to my website, CourtneyAWeber.com, and um, I'm on all the platforms, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I also have my podcast, which is That Witch Life, um, and um, also blog for Patheos. Haven't in a bit. Uh, been a little bogged down with Wasn't a gonna couple of things. Wasn't going to say anything. I know. I know. I went into a little bit of a hole there, both with uh, writing and also a couple of health things. I'm fine now, but I, I had a little bit of a health thing for a bit, so That's I was really... 
Yeah, I wasn't really writing, but that's also a place to find me. Um, and, you know, I would love to keep in touch with everybody. I am um, speaking at Philadelphia Pagan Pride um, and Portland Pagan Pride, both of which are virtual this year, and as well as um, the Sisterhood of Avalon's Ninefold Festival, which is for people who identify as women. And I'll be getting a keynote there. So I got a, I got a busy fall ahead of me, even if uh, summer's a little quiet. Fantastic. I kind of wish I could go to the Avalon event, uh, but, I, but I probably shouldn't. But it does sound no. great because I know so many of the people that are there, you know, and I like them. Oh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Courtney, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Courtney's podcast, too, is much more professional than mine. She does great. You all do a great job on your podcast. Much, <laughs> you work much Thank harder you. at it than I do. Jason is like, yeah. Fuck it. You know, the call didn't go through. We'll just wing it for five minutes while we figure out what's going on. And you get to listen to all that. Uh, Courtney, it's such a pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, I hope that everything goes well and that we bump into each other soon when this is all over. Likewise, Jason. Thanks. It's always good to talk to you as well. The fabulous Courtney Weber was our guest tonight. Her Bridget book is fabulous. It's one of my favorites. I loved it. I read an excerpt of it on my blog. I'd never done that for anybody else before because I liked it so much. Her tarot for one book is also quite fabulous. There's the Morrigan book, and then there's the Hecate book coming out soon. Next week, my guest is Matt Oren, author of Psychic Witch. That should be fun. I have not talked to Matt in several months, so it'll be like you know talking to somebody I've never met before. This is Witches, Whiskey, and Wits. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.